Here we go, here we go. All right, let's pray. Lent one, here we go. Oh God, Jesus fasted 40 days in the desert and there chose obedience and love for you over every temptation. Through our Lenten journey, deliver us from preoccupation with ourselves and with our needs so that we may be free to do the work of prayer and charity and fasting in sincere heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, good to see you. Uh, very nice to have people in church. We can't figure you out. We don't know why you come to church and why you don't. We can't figure out. November and December, nobody comes to church. Nobody gives any money. January, February, everybody comes back and, you know, look, I'm not going to give you the stop giving money speech, but it's been better, okay? So uh, it's just, it's just so, you're just so interesting. We have no idea what you're doing. But we'll just kind of carry on. There you go. Now, just a couple of things about a couple of things. One is I uh, printed, you know, 50 of these last week, this guide to fasting, which I've done in the past, and I put on that table right over there. And they all disappeared, and there were, I thought, you know, I thought I would give away 10. So there are some more on this table because I've learned that table can't be trusted. <laughs> Except that Marilyn has moved from that table to that table, so we'll be able to isolate whether or not she, in fact, is the trouble. So uh, a couple of you asked about this. So um, this is a long version of, you know, the shorter version thing, but I don't want to, you know, throw the brakes on every week and then have you say, you know, why'd you do that? Then second, a couple of things about both the bulletin on Sunday and about Bible study. Uh, people ask me things, like somebody asked me this week, you know, what in the world are alms? You say we should give alms and you didn't tell us what it was. My bad, we'll do that today. But, uh, but in the same way, people are like, you know, I, I don't know how to pray, what should I pray? This, this is part of the reason for the margin comments and all the prayers is that you could actually take this home and use it the entire work, week for devotions. There's six or seven or eight prayers in this every week. And there's five or six or seven pieces of theology done by people, and here's the key. Always something from the early church, always something from the medieval church, always something from the Renaissance, early modern Reformation church, always something from today. So you can see what Lutherans say is true um, from Jesus all the way through to today. We're trying to say the same old things. And, and that's, that's the kind of the difference um, or the, the method here. So for example, you can read this. You know, these are things, you know, Lutherans are great uh, on doctrine a lot of times, but they stumble uh, in pastoral care because it went away over the last hundred years. It's starting to come back with some folks in my generation, but really nice. But, you know, I put this first thing, um, you know, Father Fortea, do demons have a plan when they tempt us? You know, I went to a lot of pastor school, but no pastor talked to me that way, which was really sad because I actually asked pastors to talk to me that way. So I'm trying to talk to you that way. You should know things like this if you're entering a season of temptation. So for example, the very last thing, um, temptation, the very last paragraph on the bulletin from this morning, temptation is incompatible with prayer. You see how easy that is? Say your prayers and you destroy temptation. Say your prayers and you undo the work of the devil toward you. Temptation is incompatible with prayer. If one is tempted and prays, the temptation disappears. Jesus in the wilderness today, the temptation disappears. 
Prayers are create a barrier against temptation. So it's like you put yourself in a bubble. It's like you throw up the force fields, right? You make, you make, with the name of Jesus, you make the air around you irritating. This is why we bless children at the altar. The Lord fill your home with angels and protect you and your family from the evil one, right? Because it actually really works. Um, since in prayer, our intellects and wills are centered on God. This is what I talked about last week. But you don't have to sin. Once you've been baptized and had the Eucharist, you have a new mind and a new heart. So you see things in a new way and you choose things according to the will of God. This is just, this is so simple and beautiful. Since in prayer our intellects and our wills are centered on God, eventually a demon cannot resist this and leaves us alone. So there's, there's stuff in this for you um, kind of all week long. Take it along. And I also would say that in the same way, you know, sometimes people say, and you could certainly say it today, you know, why am I giving you 18 pages of stuff? And I'm only going to do 12 pages. I'm going to only do six. Because here's the thing. There's a ton of stuff to know. And, you know, it's not all going to come from me. In fact, most of it's not going to come from me. It's going to come from people super, super smart. And from the scriptures and from Jesus himself. And so this is sort of meant to, uh, if you will, define your week. Right? To give you something to take with you. You can do whatever you want. But if you don't know what to do... There's one or two or three things every week which are yours to take home and structure your life. And if you don't structure your life, guess what? Inertia, the inertia of original sin, which you heard about in the Old Testament for today, will structure your life for you. So, you know, your choice, but my suggestion to you is, you know, structure your life toward holiness and then protect yourself from evilness and your life will be better. So, and I'll give you a couple of examples of that today. So, any questions about any of that? And then I give you only three seconds to answer so I can say, okay, let's go then. So, <laughs> if you have a question, you know, it's embarrassing for both of us if you don't answer any questions. Sometimes you go to these academic papers, they, you know, you, you talk for, somebody talks for 45 minutes and then they always say, and then there'll be time for questions. They go, any questions? And you look around the room and people are going like, and there's always a plant in, the, in an academic audience. Somebody, some grad student has been assigned to prepare a question to spare the boring speaker from embarrassment. So, uh, you know, we haven't gotten that far, but the elders be on high alert. Okay, anyway. So we're going to go back and get some things from the last two weeks. So yes, you've seen some of this, but we haven't done all of it. So here we go. Um, there's stuff to do. The world's a mess. That's point number two. Jesus has come and he overcomes the ones who trouble us. And so together we sort of work through the devil, and I, I tried to get you to be more afraid of the devil and less afraid of the devil. I want you to be more afraid of the devil for this reason, because it's everywhere. You know, the TikTok craze of manifesting things. Even in the Wall Street Journal, I have to read about how people are manifesting things. Manifesting is, you know, in some sense, positive thinking, but in another sense, because it's been added what's been added to it primarily are spells, witchcraft. And so, you know, manifesting comes in as a casual word now, but you don't quite know what people are. And I actually would normally say to you, go look it up, but I actually don't want you to go look it up because anytime you come close to witchcraft, you should run the other way. But people are exposed to this all day long and think that things are happening, happening. Look, I manifested this and it worked out. Actually, A, you got lucky or B, something demonic happened, and C, don't ascribe anything to either one of those, right? Run the other way. So these are things, the, just the infiltration of witchcraft, you know, everywhere. You're most sensitive to it, sensitive to it when 
a, st a statue of Beelzebub is put next to the Ten Commandments at the county courthouse, right? Or, um, you know, the abortion clinic that was opened um, by, the, by the Church of Satan last month in, uh, you know, the name of the Supreme Court Justice who wrote the opinion against Roe v. Wade, right? Um, and, and what's so interesting is first they said it'll be free to have an abortion there, but then they said it'll be free to have an abortion there if you participate in this satanic liturgy, but don't worry, it's only words. You kind of go, huh. So you pay people to do something satanic. It's very interesting. So this is kind of everywhere if you pay attention. If you pay attention too much, it will make you go mad because you'll feel like the world is spinning out of control. I assure you, it won't be anything worse than the gospel reading for today. But pay attention, okay? That's the, the world's in trouble. You need to pay, you know, more attention, but then also you should need to pay less attention and um, remember that the Lord is in charge and everything will be fine. And I gave you St. Teresa uh, of Avila there. And so I'm pushing you all the way down to the bottom just before, before point five. This is where I sort of recall that we left off. And I try to make a case to you that humility protects us. Because the one, you know, the, the, the scriptures warn about how Satan comes and pretends to be an angel, right? A son of light, but he's really the son of darkness. But the way to the test case, so two test cases, I've talked to you about this. Angels terrify and then console. Demons console and then terrify. So if you think about the angel Gabriel coming to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus, she's terrified and he says, it's okay. Kindness, mercy, grace is yours in the person of Jesus. Angels terrify and then console. Demons console, listen to the temptations today in the gospel reading, and then terrify. Right? So it's kind of a baseline thing. The other baseline thing where you can normally sort out what's demonic is it's never humble. Humility is the one virtue the devil cannot imitate. The devil is pure pride Pride expresses itself as a spirit of rebellion. And so it is impossible by nature for the devil to be humble. And so I gave you this test case um, last week. The devil appears to this monk and says, I'm the angel Gabriel and I've been sent to you. And the monk replies, better check and see. You may have been sent to someone else. I'm not worthy that an angel should be sent to me, right? Humility is the check case against um, a false prophet, a false demon. So I give you this across the bottom. And this can be you know, expanded. It's been longer and shorter in our time together, but it basically goes like this. Love breeds gratitude, which because we've been taught that we're not self-creative or self-dependent or independent, so we're grateful that God has rescued us, that breeds humility, and humility then spurs obedience, and we live in holiness and joy. So you always expose yourself to the holy things, to holy love. What is the Eucharist? It is holy love. What is baptism? It's holy love. You expose yourself to the holy things and automatically, right, automatically you become grateful, you become humble, you become obedient, which is why you go to church, which is what we've been talking about. Why do you go to church? Because the holy things are here, right? They're not somewhere else. They're actually in the church. Holy Jesus is, of course, everywhere, but his holy gifts are in the holy church given through the holy ministry. 
So you come here for a touch that you can't get anywhere else. And this touch then propels you into life with gratitude and humility and joy and obedience. And if you don't get the touch, eventually the things that trouble you, the devil, the world, and your own flesh, eventually they will wear you down and you will, you know, you'll act like a demon. And as St. John Vianney says, you might not even notice. So C.S. Lewis, you know, the, the best way to damn a man is to leave him alone. He'll wake up one morning and find himself in hell and he'll be quite surprised what happened. You don't want that to happen. So that's as far as we've come, okay? And we're out of time. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Point number five, right? Things that you argue about. There's just so much to talk about here. But, um, you know, that the world is no friend of yours. You know, I've, I've put here, it's, a, it's the sum of our collective vices. And it's all over the confessions. And, you know, I can probably, I probably had four people in the last four or five months come to me and say, I'm sure the world is ending which is a little like people saying, I'm sure the low is in for the stock market. When anybody says that, it certainly is not true. Okay, so the world's not ending and uh, you know, things can go lower or higher, but the world is growing worse and worse and men are becoming weaker and more infirm. Augsburg Confession, there's the Lutheran saying, ah, it looks like the world is gonna end. Just like Augustine said, ah, it looks like the world is gonna end. You know what? You don't know when the world's gonna end? Not even Jesus knows, says Jesus. And so you just sort of, get up every morning and do your work. But if you read this description, next come the comes the world, which offends us in word and deed, impels us to anger and impatience, is full of nothing but hatred and envy, enmity, violence, wrong, unfaithfulness, vengeance, cursing, slander, pride, haughtiness, nothing's changed, right? Honor, fame, power, and then the next thing, where no one is willing to be the least. Humility. The opposite of humility is demonic. The devil is pure pride. But everyone desires to sit at the head and to be seen by all. And then we work through together J Jesus' high priestly prayer. Um, there it is, John 17. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. When Jesus puts the touch to you in holy baptism or holy supper, he pulls you into another place. He pulls you into heaven, if you will, but you still live here for a while, but you're not of this world anymore. And so the world recognizes that and hates you. But listen to this, and this is extremely important because there has been this movement in Christianity and even Lutheranism in the last few years to withdraw, to be the new Amish, to be a sect. Well, what does Jesus say about that? I do not ask you that you take them out of the world, huh? But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, not out of the world, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. In your going, make disciples as you move through the world. So you're, as Jesus says, you're in the world, but not of the world. Now, none of this is new information, right? This, this next bit uh, is from um, Gregory the Great, thought to be uh, the best pope until Ratzinger. When Benedict came, they said of Benedict, best pope since 
Gregory the Great, and Gregory the Great was known for pastoral care, and also maybe smartest pope ever, which is going some. But here it is. Our Lord and Redeemer entered the world and gave the world new teachings. He offered a new way of life to our old one, which was nurtured by our vices. Two paragraphs down. Our physician brought from heaven, heaven remedies for every single moral fault. The medical art cures fevers with cold compresses and chills by applying heat. Similarly, Jesus prescribed qualities contrary to our sins. Self-restraint to the undisciplined, generosity to the stingy, gentleness to the irritable, humility to the proud. Listen to Christ's words. Those who would come after me must renounce themselves. This is pure Lent. Lent is about renouncing yourself with humility and not carrying on the way you were before in pride. And everybody's got something to confess and everybody can get better. And two times a year, Advent and Lent, we set time where 10 weeks of the year, so 20% of the year, we say, we set aside these two seasons to get better or more accurately to let Jesus make us better. Listen to Christ's words. Those who would come after me must renounce themselves. And so the classic disciplines, ashes, giving way to fasting, prayer, and alms. He tells us we must renounce ourselves. Some find it difficult. To, some may not find it difficult to abandon their possessions, but it is extremely difficult for us to abandon ourselves. Renouncing what we have is not so much. Renouncing who we are amounts to a great deal. To turn into another person, that takes some doing. And then kind of go to the bottom. Paul is saying what Christ said, those who would come after me must renounce themselves. We cannot go beyond ourselves if we do not know how to sacrifice ourselves. We cannot go forward without pain. We cannot go forward without introspection. We cannot go forward without confession. We cannot go forward without forgiveness. We cannot go forward. We cannot go beyond ourselves if we do not know how to sacrifice ourselves. And then, you know, from nature, we transplant seedlings to make them grow. How do we do that? We uproot them in order to make them increase. Seeds disappear, you know, like Jesus in the tomb. Seeds disappear when we put them into the earth and then spring up to renew their kind. It seems as if what they were was being lost. It seems like you're losing your old friends. It seems like you're losing your own life. It seems like you're losing money if you tithe. It seems like you're losing time if you pray. It seems like you know, you're losing comfort if you fast. It seems like, but it seems as if they were being lost. It seems as if what they were is being lost. But that is how they receive the ability to become what they were not. Which, of course, is the Christian way, to become what you are not. Jesus says you must die to your old life and live again. Follow me into something new. So anyway, this strong warning uh, against the world and being enthralled by it, and especially in these last few years, it's been very difficult for Christians on all sides. Politics and Christianity has gotten all mixed up yet again in America. 
right? As if Jesus belonged to some party and had some particular program. I cannot number for you the, num the times that people have come to me in the last three years and confused Jesus with the platform from some particular political party. It's nonsense and it's heresy, and that's how Nazi flags got put in German churches. Read Bonhoeffer. The church is not the same as the state. Politics is strategy. And that can be organized in all sorts of ways that are God-pleasing. Theology is principle. And those are the virtues which are ungive-upable. And part of what the church needs to do in Lent is review that for itself and discharge the things that are solely of the world and cling to the things that are virtuous by way of God. Starting with, I'll just give you unsolicited advice, next time around, vote for the humble candidate and the humble parties. If you find them, let me know. All right, and so the flesh then, right? You know, you know yourself, at least you should know yourself. I mean, Lent is a chance to get to know yourself again. And sometimes, you know, this is hardest for, new Christians often trip here because um, they know they're gonna find things and that's so frightening. Old Christians kind of trip here because um, They've been practicing excuses for 20 or 30 or 40, 50 years. And so you never kind of get beyond the hard shell of why you couldn't possibly be wrong. In the flesh, we carry the old Adam around our neck and he exerts himself and incites us daily. I was thinking about um, uh, how you know, it, when people are possessed by demons, you know, this all comes up because of the text and what we're, uh, but among the things that happen are superhuman strength. It's one of the ways that you can kind of mark whether what's happening in a person. And um, I began to think about how you can actually describe that as a demonic form of energy, right? So someone who, so I'll just tell you a story. I had a seminary professor, somebody called him, you know, middle of the night said one of our members has been taken to the um, asylum and um, when he got there you know he noticed that all the guys were a little bit off who normally and he said you know he's in there and this is you know now this guy was 60 when he told me this so you know this could be you know 50 60 70 years ago he was in a room a padded cell with a thick door eight inches thick and um, little little slot to look in at the guy he looks in and he says that's my guy and he turns back to the attendant and suddenly the door behind him explodes and he goes hey pastor how you doing all right you explain that to me i mean you figure out any way you want that a normal human person destroys a solid oak door in an asylum somewhere hey you can believe it or not believe it but at the end of my career this has added up so many times that i go back to my first thing which is don't touch evil right but you think about energy, how demonic energy surges, but you also think about, and this is, we talk about this all the time, how the Holy Spirit is holy energy. And if demonic energy is like that, and the Holy Spirit is X zillion times times that, you begin to think what would be possible for us if we only allowed the Holy Spirit to exert his will through us. Kind of remarkable, right? So here, the old Adam 
exerts himself, right? Energizes us, incites us to what? Horrible things, right? Unchastity, laziness, gluttonous, avarice, all these things, all manners of evil which cling to us. Then we do it with other people and everything goes to hell. And then people say, why did everything go to hell? Well, I mean, it's not that hard to sort out. Touch evil, you give evil incarnation, and evil things happen. Touch holiness, you give holiness incarnation. Holiness courses out of your fingertips, right? When you give alms to the poor, when you fold your hands to pray. So now this, um, this next bit is mildly sketchy uh, because um, the Lutherans among you will get hives immediately. And then, you know, the rest of you, I don't want you to sort of take this hook, line, and sinker, and I'll tell you why. However, it's really interesting to listen to people who spent their life uh, sort of sorting people out spiritually. Okay, so just, just kind of just, we're going to go slowly here, but I think this will be of more benefit to you than damage, so let's try. If God permits temptations to gluttony, you can pick something else, but just start with gluttony. It's a sign he wants to give you the reward of accomplished abstinence so that you might take off in flight to the highest contemplation. So Lutherans immediately, there's going to be two troubles here. One is uh, sort of the, it's a sign. I'm very nervous about people who tell me, you know, they've seen Jesus or an angel came to them, or there's a sign and this is what's going to happen. And in fact, you know, the only time this ever really happens in the Lutheran church is when a pastor gets a call and he goes, oh, it's a sign from God, I need to move or stay. Because when you get a call, every pastor becomes a charismatic, right? And so does every call committee. Oh, the Lord has moved us to uh, the Spirit. I'm just like, what just happened to you people? I didn't know this was. How come you people got to choose? And then, you know, this thing of highest contemplation is kind of ladder to heaven kind of talk, which is nervous, but you could actually easily say spiritual maturity there and that would be okay but the other side i wonder if you could understand this and the rest of this text because it is very fascinating in the way of romans uh, 8 that god works all things together for the good of those who who love him so think if you could think if you could say it like this if god permits temptation to gluttony don't worry if you resist it god can use it for your good because what will happen is if you become very envious, for example, or gluttonous, right? The next time you see that temptation, you'll recognize it and you'll do better. I don't know what your particular temptation is. We all have different things that rile us up. I normally find in people that there's three or four things that are basic. If they work hard enough to prayer and fasting and going to the supper, the devil might add a new one, but pretty much people for whatever reason, personality, upbringing, usually people have, you know, two or three, four things that come back to them, or one dominant thing that's broken up by maybe a couple of, you know, smaller things. Um, but the point of this is, is, I wonder if you could read it like this, if you're tempted to gluttony, it's a chance not to be gluttonous, or God will work it out. God won't let you, you'll never be tempted beyond your strength, says the scripture. So God will use this to forward you into a new and better life, right? Think of it. So if God permits gluttony, it can be worked toward abstinence. Now just kind of read the rest of them because this is actually very nice. Next, if you're tempted to glory, 
it's a sign that if you trust God much, he can work it for your humility. If you learn to say no. This is like, have you never known that somebody who can't keep a secret? So what happens is when people get told things, they feel like they just have to tell somebody. They have to tell somebody. They'll explode if they don't tell somebody. But what happens is if somebody tells you a secret and you don't talk, the next time somebody tells you a secret, it's easier not to talk. And the next time it's easier. And then like the hundredth time, you don't even think about it anymore because you know it's a secret. Right? It's like that. Rejoice, therefore, and this is the good part, because we always moan and say, oh, why me? You'll notice in the text for today, Jesus does not say, why me? Instead, he realizes he lives within the bubble of his father's care, and if he stays within the bubble of his father's care, it's all going to be okay. Which is what you need to think about, too. We get tempted and we think, oh, no, what will we do? How could this ever possibly go my way? How can I work my way out of it? Or maybe if I just give in, it'll go away. Rejoice when you encounter various temptations. One who remains in the arms of Jesus will not fall away. Now, this is more painful. If you feel no sweetness and consolation at prayer, and this is extraordinarily common. It's a prayer killer among Christians that some days you feel fabulous and you pray and it could not be better, but there are periods known both as spiritual dryness and also spiritual darkness, well known since the beginning of the church for Christians. You pray and you feel nothing. You pray and nothing happens. You pray and wonder, what's the point? It is just completely common, which of course has nothing to do with Jesus who just says to you, you should say your prayers, and the answer to that is, I'd love to. If you feel no sweetness and consolation at prayer, use it in this way. Let it take all satisfaction so that with the exercise of resignation, or I would just say to you, with the exercise of obedience to the divine good pleasure, you become a new person, entirely spiritual. So here's what we do. We say prayer and we'll pray as long as it's fun. We say give alms and tithe, we'll do that as long as we get our way. Or as long as we see the guy we gave it to, you know, buy coffee and not liquor, right? So, you know, we do it as long as it works for us and you can already see why it's all gonna go wrong. Because what works for you and what feels for you is not the baseline for what Jesus wants done in your life. It is not, you know, your experience is not the horizon of God's ask for obedience. That is not how this works. God is what he is, and the ask is for you to follow me. Right? That's what Jesus says, follow me. So the point is that Jesus asks and you do what he asks. He asks you to pray so you pray. He asks you to give so you give. He asks you to fast so you fast. He asks you to give alms so you give alms. You might feel good about it. You might feel bad about it. You might see what happens. You might not see what happens. I agree with you. It's totally frustrating and sometimes very painful. But if you let yourself say repeatedly, what in the heck is the point? It will be the end of you. Look, it's this simple. God exists or he does not. God is true or he is not. And you will do what he bids you or you will not. That's as simple as it gets.
So do we believe and then do or do and then believe? It's both of those things. Some days you believe and do, but some days you have to do to believe, right? You just keep going. How blessed are those who arrive at pure suffering. This is like, you can hardly say this, who arrive at pure suffering without comfort and continue to serve God. That was St. Felicity, right? We talked about her last week. She wanted to give birth so she could die in the arena with her church. Blessed are those who arrive at pure suffering without comfort and continue to serve God. These are truly the faithless service who enter into the joy of the Divine Master. And then this is actually the line I wanted to get to. Courage, dear ones. Courage. You're not the first person who's ever been through this. Courage. You're not the first person who ever faced death or had a loved one die. Courage. You're not the first one who's ever looked at porn on the internet. You're not the first one who ever had an abortion. You're not the first one who stole money from work. Courage, courage in Christ who forgives you and who gives you a fresh start. Courage. And courage expresses itself by not doing it again. Right? This is the Christian life. Jesus doesn't say, follow me if you just clean yourself up. Jesus just says, from this moment forward, follow me, which is exactly what happens in absolution. Everything's forgiven, follow me. It's exactly what happens at the Holy Supper. Everything's forgiven, follow me. It's what happens at the benediction. Wear the name of Jesus out the door and follow me. This is what happens. God wishes to make you all his. That is beautiful. And therefore he tries you and exercises you so that you may be a good soldier. Have no fear, courage, dear one, for you will have the victory. Even though you do not sense the divine presence, it does not follow that you are not in the divine presence. Isn't that gorgeous? So, you know, it's been all about your feelings, and then he, like, slips in this great little line of logic that is irrefutable. Your experience is not the limit of God's action. Your feelings are not the boundary of what God is doing in the world. Have no fear, for you will have the victory, even though you do not sense the divine presence, spiritual dryness, spiritual darkness. It does not follow that you're not in the divine presence. You're in the divine presence because Jesus says you're in the divine presence. You're God's child because God says you're his child. You may feel it, you may not feel it, that changes absolutely nothing. Jesus says, you're mine, so you say, I'm yours. The loving attention is not felt in the lower part of your soul, but has withdrawn entirely the higher part. You've got to do a little bit of um, Christian medieval anthropology to get to that, so another day. But um, anyway, seeing us through these temptations of the flesh, or John 17. Now just listen how Jesus talks, and we, we did a little bit of this last week. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. So Jesus is going to his death. He's praying to the Father. He does pray for strength, but he prays primarily for his disciples that they not be lost or shattered. Courage, dear ones. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me. 
because you love me from before the foundation of the world. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. So he shares the love. He has a sense of God's love. He wants them to have it. And then to sort of carry on, um, and you remember then I just sort of tossed this in. This is for another two, but the angels come to help him. And you should remember that the angels come to help you as well. And I've talked to you a lot of times about demons and angels. And, you know, there's a demon here watching you. And there's, and read the deal this morning, right? There's a demon sizing you up. And you have an angel who cares for you. And all will be well. You also have each other. And, you know, we have so often come to church to fix ourselves. And, of course, this is good. But everything that happens here, while it is personal, it is not private. It is, of course, individualized, but it's in community. So this beautiful bit from now on. People who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness, but they choose, act of will, not to live in it. They claim that the light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself. So, I mean, you can imagine this, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever been, we once stayed in a, when we were really long ago, we stayed in a small bed and breakfast by the sea. And um, it was in this little town on the south shore of England, it was while we were at Cambridge. And, you know, there was no place to go uh, to eat. And the person that we were staying with, they said, do you see that light? There's like, she said, that's a, that's a pub you can eat there. The problem is, it was so dark and so foggy and the sea was so loud, we literally could not see, literally not one step in front of ourselves. It took us, I don't remember, 20 or 30 minutes to go, you know, 400 yards, because you actually don't know, right? But the thing to trust was, there's that light in the distance. The light is to be more trusted than the darkness. Even though the darkness dominates, this is easy now for you to put this into your life here. The darkness dominates. And mostly people have been undone in the church and outside the church over the last few years from the sense that it dominates. And there are all kinds of people who are, you know, have made hay with this, who've played with conspiracy theories and lies, um, you know, to, 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 to work everybody up and to shatter them, to weaken them. That's because people pay more attention to the darkness than the light. They trust the darkness or the light. Your choice. You have two possibilities. You can trust light or you can trust darkness. Forget about the quantity or what seems. They claim that the light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself and that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. They point each other, and this is why you're good for me and hopefully I'm good for you. This is what community does. They point each other to flashes of light. So flashes of light would be, I was sick and the Lord healed me. My kid was off the rail and he came back. I haven't been to church for a long time, but now I'm here, my meds have finally kicked in. My grandchild got baptized. Or I used to be, you know, addicted and now I'm not. That's light. And when people say that to you, they point you to flashes of light. They point each other to flashes of light here and there and remind each other that they reveal the hidden but real presence of God. 
they discover that there are people who heal each other's wounds. And this is the difference between a church that works and a church that does not. This is the difference between a church that you're willing to go to and a church that you should flee. You go to a church where people heal each other's wounds and you flee a church where people wound each other. Forgive each other's offenses, share their possessions, foster the spirit of community, celebrate the gifts they have received, and live in constant anticipation of the full manifestation of God's glory. Manifestation, Greek word epiphany, Greek word light. So you don't just survive, you actually live. And you anticipate um, something better. In fact, Jesus returned. And so, you know, I've given you this icon before, but it's just this beautiful idea. You know, this golden light, and they with halos, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you will, or three angels, depending on how you want to read the story of coming to Sarah and Abram and blessing them with, blessing them with a child. Right? And so um, there at the beginning is, uh, at the front, is the seat for you, fourth at the table, and also, if you care to see it, the Eucharist and the hand extended in the name of Jesus, Christos. Last thing, we'll do this at the bottom. When, while Jesus predicts that people will die of fear, and I've felt many times over the past few years that people are actually going to die of fear. Right? When Jesus predicts that people will die of fear as they await the menaces of the world, he says to his followers, stay awake, look for light, right? Stay awake, praying at all times for the strength to survive, all that's going to happen. And stand with confidence, confides, with faith before the Son of Man. After I gazed for a long time at Rublev's Trinity, these words spoke to me with a new power. Praying at all times has come to mean go to church. Praying at all times has come to mean dwelling in the house of God all the days of our lives. Surviving all that is going to happen now tells me that I no longer need to be a victim. I no longer to be victim of fear, hatred, violence that rule the world. Standing with confidence before the Son of Man no longer refers to the end time, but opens for me the possibility of living confidently right now. That is, with trust, the word the meaning confide, with faith, with trust, in the midst of hostility and violence. Keep going. So, even in my catch-up, I cannot catch up. Uh, who knows what could happen next week. All right, uh, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks. See you at church.